Hello, Philip here. Uh, we've decided to split up this episode into two parts uh, because we have lots of things to say about Big Finish. So this is the first part, and then the next part is also going to be with Bryn. Uh, this is about the first two stories, and the next one is about the other two stories. Enjoy! So many things here. Oh, I have, I have I... my new phone. I have my old phone. The old yeah. phone has notes. Yeah. Basically, um, Philip got a new phone uh... yesterday, which means all of his notes are on his old phone. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's such a first world problem. Anyway, hello and welcome to Cruising Through Doomsday, a podcast about Doctor Who, Doomsday, a transmedia experience. My name's Philip Wheeland. My pronouns are he and him. My name's Georgia Harper, my pronouns are she and her, and yes, the Bastille reference in the title was my idea. Uh, joining us to discuss the Big Finish series Doomsday Dying Hours is uh, someone who's been doing a lot of Doomsday podcasts and you know, blogger, reviewer, Bryn, how are you? I'm good, yeah, I'm Bryn Mitchell, she, her pronouns, and um, yeah, I have been talking about Doomsday a lot, more by accident than by design, but I'm happy to continue that streak. We're um, we're almost at the end of our Doomsday journey, and I've yes. finally worked out how to introduce guests. <laughs> very good, very good. <laughs> I'm happy to be introduced, yeah, like that, and yeah, I got to talk about the Doomsday comics, both the Titan comics and the Doctor Who magazine comics on Trap One, and... I believe between this podcast and Trap One, it is about the only of the hundreds of Doctor Who podcasts covering Doomsday. So I'm, I feel like I'm <laughs> getting oh, wow. across both faces we, here. But yeah, it's good. We are in a in a real niche then. <laughs> you just have a monopoly on on Doomsday opinions. Yeah. yeah. Having said that, I do think that Doomsday fandom is basically the same twenty people passing the same two podcasts around oh, 20 is 20 is ambitious yeah. i mean i'm looking around the room and i can see two of us and i can see one person on the screen yeah and that's it yeah doomsday fandom is is you messaging the group chat that we're in about doomsday and everyone going oh yeah doomsday how's that going um, yeah. doomsday so um before uh, we get on to the the, ser the Big Finish series itself, um, we have a final cost um, mm. because this is the last paid product. Um, the finale, which we will talk about, obviously, um, in the next episode. Hi, Philip here. Uh, not in the next episode because that's part two of this, but in the one after is uh, a free short story that's posted online. That is, we're recording this sort of mid-October. That is already available. Um, but this was the last thing that we had to actually spend money on. Uh, we bought the CD. Um, the CD is still not here yet. I got an email the other day saying it would be dispatched. Mm -hmm. But it, theoretically, we have that. Um, obviously, if you just download only, that is, is slightly less. But our final total is... I, I, I haven't actually written down how much the uh, uh, the big finish was. I think it was about £30. Yeah, it's it was one of the more expensive yeah. things. £29.99. I'm glad someone's done their revision. <laughs> um, and uh, that brings our running total to £75.87, which is like 
not to be sniffed at. It is about the cost of the second microphone Philip bought for this podcast. Yeah. Um, but it is a lot less than Time Lord Victorious. I, I um, mean, you you are you are of course excluding all the psychic damage you've taken. Oh yes, yes. The final cost is seventy five pounds eighty seven plus the psychic damage from the phone game, <laughs> plus the realization of how much I avoid everyday social interactions from when you try to pre-order the book. Uh, so anything else? Any other psychic damage? Um, honestly, psychic damage from the last story but we'll talk about that in oh, that that in hasn't the, happened yet yeah. in podcasting law <laughs> yes um we, we we will have to we'll have to talk about that okay. um yeah, yes it's gonna be interesting so, so. to me discussing the big finish and not acknowledging the elephant in the room of the final short story which i have also read but in podcast terms it's is future problem no it doesn't exist about, so. it doesn't yeah. exist um so Bryn, speaking of time lord victorious um you reviewed all Time Lord Victorious content um, for uh, your blog um, a couple of years ago. <laughs> have you recovered from the psychic damage and indeed financial damage? Have I? Um, have I? I mean, I must. The first thing I must say is I reviewed all Time Lord Victorious stories and kept it strictly limited to the what, what I considered to be substantial enough story releases to be financially... No t-shirt, then. No t-shirt, yeah. So jo- John, oh. John Selway, I remember speaking to him a lot about it over time, and he he did the t-shirt, he got the Eagle Moss figurines, which did have little short stories with them, and oh, obviously Christ. did the live experience as well. I, I was able to keep my costs down a bit by sticking to the big finish for books and the comic books. Valid. And mm. that in itself was certainly, certainly psychic damage. Um, it was, you know, very much a case of oh what could keep me entertained as a little bit of a project for a few months um during you know covid and lockdown stuff going on and then it sort of spiraled into wait how many things are being released for this and wait i've got to wait until april now for echoes of extinction so this project i started in october is actually now like a six month um but um I had there were ups and downs with Time Lord Victorious in terms of quality and money spent, and I think it's fair to say I've financially recovered in the two years since. I think it would be worrying <laughs> if I didn't. Um, but um, yes, and it was it was a good experience in the sense that as a result of it, I got invited to go on several podcasts, including um, Trap One, which I've been guests on maybe a dozen times since now mm-hmm. and also it's how i started doing reviews of big finish for um we are cult um which i did started with some time lord victorious stories that i reviewed there which was a nice chance to get into longer more serious reviews than the ones i was doing for my own blog yeah of course so it's thanks to time lord victorious and that project that the doomsday fandom has increased by like 50 percent um well that's true a couple of our friends listening maybe like 20 percent still a substantial your one person doing doomsday is like still a substantial increase i think yeah Yeah, i i remember when doomsday was announced being asked by i think by you and also by some other people if i was planning to review it because of the mm-hmm. fact that I'd done Time Lord Victorious and my instantaneous mm-hmm. answer was no um, <laughs> because I have a full-time job now and I'm no longer an unemployed student with nothing to do during a pandemic um, ah but but Bryn uh, you do not choose Doomsday Doomsday chooses you well, so it seems as I've ended up doing <laughs> podcasts on about half of it almost by the time I've covered <laughs> um, in fact more than half because 
the two podcasts I've done on the comics, we also talked about the short story and the mobile game. So that comes up I'm so to sorry. 10 hours. And mm-hmm. now four hours. So yeah, I've, I've managed to cover 14 hours of Doomsday despite saying I wasn't going to review any of it, which is uh, a great a great fun. Um, and But yeah, I'm always happy to talk about Big Finish, to be fair, because certainly when it came to Time Lord Victorious, the Big Finish stuff was my favourite part. And I'm glad that if I was going to do any episode here, it would be the Big Finish one. Yes. And talking about Big Finish, I actually want to talk about uh, the BBC audio because it seems like there's they actually have a coherent theme and sort of auditory identity. Mm, which is which notably is not the um, music that is used in the Doomsday trailers. Yeah, which, exactly. You know, <laughs> these things are subjective. All I can say is I prefer the one that Philip put together for this podcast. <laughs> um, but yeah, the uh, it's it's nice to see consistency across BBC Audio and the Big Finish. Yes, yeah, it was interesting actually the fact that this Big Finish release has behind the scenes, which is not a lot of the other Doomsday releases have. But obviously that's part yeah. of mm. how Big Finish do things. So the the advantage of having that was be able to hear them go actually yes the audiobooks were recorded first and we had these conversations mm. with the audiobooks and how that affected um, decisions both in yeah. terms of performances in the episodes as well as obviously these production decisions they even talked about I think like keeping consistent sound effects with the um, Doomsday's yes. weapon yes. which I thought was a really nice yeah. detail and shows that some care and attention has gone on yes some some commercial partners were talking to each yeah. other mm-hmm. um, and we will we will get on to the interviews because yeah i i agree that was really interesting particularly coming to the end of the project to hear actually how some of it was made um before we get into uh the first story and this is the part where i need to remember to change apps as well um we've just sent around the um album art uh, they actually produced album art for each of the separate stories and for Dying Hours as a whole. Let's talk about the Dying Hours album art. There is a lot going on, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, it's really nice that they did art for each individual episode yeah. of the box set because mm. that is, when I started listening to Big Finish in 2015, that was the standard, that was the norm, was you'd have you know, a box set cover and then each individual episode would have its own artwork as well. But that has not been the norm for several years now at Big Finish, you no. know, over cost saving. They've generally... And I'd be interested... I've also ordered the physical one, and much like you, I think it was dispatched two days ago and has not yet arrived mm, yeah. with me. Um, so it'd be interesting to see whether the fact that they've got separate album art for each one means that the set that's coming will be, like, four individual CDs in a cardboard slip case, like a lot of Big Finish used to be, or whether... They've just got the art included in a booklet inside. But yeah, it was nice to see the extra art because, you know, it's not as if we've got that much visual content for Doomsday. So any little extra helps fill in a gap, I think. Yeah. What, what, I, would, what I would say is it would also be helpful if uh, our various uh, media players actually picked up on this fact and yes. haven't actually shown us yeah. just the album art for... Weirdly enough, dawn of an everlasting peace for th- all yeah. of them. <laughs> I think that was that was the case for me as well. So, Bryn, how do you feel about the 1965 to 1966 serial, The Daleks Master Plan? I mean, obviously, it is an excellent 
long cereal. It's really two two cereals smushed together. There's, you know, the half that was sort of written by Terry Nation himself and edited quite heavily, and the other half that was Terry Nation basically saying, I'm going on holiday, can you please finish my homework? Um, so um, I enjoy the Daleks Master Plan in all its craziness of being far too long and um, f- mm-hmm. full of Daleks and with a Christmas special in the middle. And yeah, you know, as a Heart and Alira fan, I, I definitely can't criticise doing a sequel to a Heart and Alira story. Well, I have a bit of a confession to make. So I have seen the reconstruction of the Daleks Master Plan. Um, as I think I mentioned uh, a couple of episodes ago, during lockdown, I kind of embarked on trying to watch every episode of Classic Who. Um, it's now 2023 and I'm still on Pertwee, but um, it meant that around sort of winter 2020, I watched the Daleks Master Plan reconstruction. Despite this fact... I did not realise that this was about the Daleks Master Plan until I got to the interviews and someone mentioned that it was about the Daleks Master Plan, which which sort of blew my mind a little bit. Um, Philip, you're newer to this, I think. Yeah, so I, I think I think it, it was it was interviews uh, in, in the interviews, right? The interview with uh, Jacqueline Rayner, the uh, the author of of this story, Dawn of the Everlasting Peace. Um, she said that yeah, she's basically obsessed with uh, with Dalek's master plan. Uh, she wanted to write, weirdly enough, about the delegates to this peace conference that that apparently is a big set piece in in the Dalek's master plan as well, and is also the big set piece here. So. Um, Jacqueline Rayner, by the way, I relayed this to Philip. Um, basically, yeah, I was listening to it on my commute and I was on my way home and I got to the interviews and it was like, oh, it's a Dalek Master Plan. That's really funny. But I knew that Philip hadn't seen it. So I, I have to give you this context. And when I explained this to Philip, Philip says, Jacqueline Rayner, where do I know that name? And I had to break the news that while she has obviously done many things, where we would know that name is the £10.99 Doctor Who magazine supplement, which actually means I think she's written the most Doctor Who Doomsday, at least in terms of... Yeah. Because well, she's done the four hours Goss, in the magazine. I guess, but she, didn't she yeah. only do... Was the magazine multiple authors? Magazine yeah, the, mag- the magazine yeah. was four hours. But it was yeah. more... Which is why it was so, like, overstuffed. Yeah, I think it was more um, than one author, though, wasn't it? Um... I, I could think be it was, wrong. I think it was all one author. Okay, um, you could yeah. be right. I wasn't sure. I might. I might be wrong. I mean, um, you you say that you say that apparently there's a there's like an MP with the same name as uh, as the as the author of of one of the stories on Four from Doomsday. All of the stories on Four from Doomsday. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, and now I have a second one. thing to Google, <laughs> um, because otherwise you're going to have to edit me putting the facts in. <laughs> um, one of us has made a mistake. So it doing... may have been me. I should. Deferred to the Doomsday Obsessives, probably. Uh, so, Four from Doomsday. Yeah, Four from Doomsday is written by um, Darren Jones, yeah. um, who had a namesake turn up a few weeks later in the Labour cabinet reshuffle. And I had a moment, because I work in policy, I had a moment of being, where do I know that name? <laughs> and then the next day, after we recorded the episode with James, I realised. Um, meanwhile, Four Hours of Doomsday, which is the Doctor Who magazine... 
Um, you want me to fetch the magazine from no, the No, it was written by Jacqueline Rayner, but it has, there's, yeah, there's obviously yeah. a lot of different people involved in the art and stuff. Uh, okay. Um Obviously, ed- editing this live research is not my problem. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm just going to keep that in. Okay. Yeah, keep in um, my interruption <laughs> we, where we... I say overtly the wrong thing about a comic I also did a podcast about. Um... <laughs> Look, I, I think I think we can we can all claim temporary insanity because it was 10.99 for a Doctor Who yeah. magazine. <laughs> the thing I would like to say at this point is that Jacqueline Rayner is a really great doctor who writer with an amazing mm. history of do, you know she did the first ever big finish audios really she wrote the ad- oh wow yeah the, the adaptation it was adapted from the bernie summerfield books before they got the rights to do doctor who um so oh no it isn't which is the first ever big finish audio drama was written by jacqueline rayner based on a book by um paul cornell but quite heavily embellished by her and mm. she's she's a fantastic oh. writer with a long history mm. In the Doctor Who Expanded Universe. And I definitely really enjoyed um, Dawn of an Everlasting Peace, even if I didn't get the reference. (laughs) Shall we have a quick look at the Dawn of an Everlasting Peace cover? Yes. Uh, And then we can finally get get on to the story. Um, I've had to look at the Dawn of an Everlasting Peace cover a lot because, as previously mentioned, my phone decided it was the cover for everything. Um... (laughs) I think it's a really good cover. It is. Um, yeah. I, I like I like the sort of... Uh, I mean, obviously, Big Finish is uh, is well known for, for having a lot of uh, um, skills in the Photoshop department. <laughs> but I think this one is probably the most original one as well. Yeah. And the delegates, the Dalek delegates, do not look bad considering that the photo references they'd be from mm-hmm. uh, from the yeah. 60s like you know they they look obviously it helps but because they don't have quite human features it might be easier to touch them up so we join doom as she lands at her next mission um and has the usual call with terry um i am actually gonna dive into the interviews a little bit here terry voiced by becky wright my immediate thought when the trailer for Dying Hours came out was that Terry sounds weird because of, despite the fact this is her debut, basically, mm-hmm. because of course in the audio she was voiced by Suze Kempner. And so in my head, that was her voice. And it took a little bit of adjustment. What became clear in the interview, I think actually as part of this story, is that basically Suze Kempner herself sort of created this like Bronx accent for Terry yeah. and then Becky Wright who had already been cast found out that she had to do this accent and I think in some of the stories lines were rewritten because they sounded a bit too English yeah yeah it's a, it was definitely an interesting touch to think of this actor having to imitate um Suze Kempner's Bronx accent in a previous audiobook and saying that they literally you know they played in the clips in studio and also the idea that Suze Kempner had completely forgotten what she'd done for the part until it was played back to her and thinking, oh, okay, then. Um, So, yeah, (laughs) an acting challenge, I think, for sure, for the actor who had to play um, Terry. Because I think, I kind of feel a little bit bad now, uh, because, you know, in the the audiobook episode, we've, uh, we've sort of gone with, why is Terry American? Why is she not the Terry from the thick of it? Still mad about that, to be fair. (laughs) 
But yeah, it was it was really it was really interesting to to hear that this was actually a a decision that began with Suze Kempner doing silly voices as part of the audiobook that she then forgot about and had to they had to sort of roll with it for for the big finish story. That was great. It is nice actually to hear like proper banter between Doom and Terry. You sort of got that a little bit in the BBC audio, but yeah, it's been something that particularly, I guess, in the comics, because it's quite hard to visually do, um, it's been kind of overlooked at points. So definitely nice to see that. Um, so Doom is basically dumped outside of a conference arena and has to kill a delegate at an interplanetary peace conference. Again, I should point out, I wrote these notes having no idea it was about Dalek Master Plan. <laughs> so I probably missed some of the more specific references. Yeah. We see her going through security and there is no metal. So she's lost her weapons and um, she encounters what initially appears to be um, an old man and a female carer of some description, perhaps his daughter, um, unable to get through because he's using a wheelchair and they were like, no, no exceptions. Um, And Doom sort of tries to help. Yeah. I think that there's a there's a brilliant moment of like social engineering um that Doom does uh to to get into the the peace treaty signing and also um sneaking her her tech by sticking it into um the older gentleman's wheelchair. I think that's uh you know it it does actually show that Doom is competent at being a sort of spy assassin clandestine type person which i think in some of the other stories it was not as clear as it perhaps should have been there's really interesting themes through this and throughout the big finish of like doom is actually not a good person which shouldn't be a surprise because she is an assassin yeah she helps Clorin through security kind of for her own ends and then offers to look after him for a while because she thinks it will be good cover. It plays with that quite a lot. I think for me, the opening scenes also had like the energy of, of like the Yalta conference, um, which, uh, which sort of prompts the question, who's Stalin? <laughs> who, who in, in this prequel to the Dark's master plan is <laughs> Stalin? Um, a question that's never been asked before, I think. Um <laughs> Previously unsaid sentences in in human history. Um, we then see some of the aliens, um, which again, in my head, were just entirely new. Uh, Why are they all called Zephon? I have here in capital letters, every Zephon is named Zephon. Um, I just thought it was very funny. But why? Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's both funny and it's also a great, like, in-joke if you obviously get the thing, but it's... The, the confusion with certain Dalek delegates about whether the name that they're referred to by is their species name or their character name. And the explanation for Zephon is it's both. Um. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, it went entirely over my head and I feel quite silly because I have seen the reconstruction, but it was so long ago. I mean, ago. there's so many And it's such a long serial. And those and delegates I are don't... such non-characters. <laughs> The, the I barely followed things. the Daleks master plan as it was. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I think uh, at this point, um, again, because Doom is an assassin, she, 
uses the uh, older guy in a wheelchair uh, to to get through the security cordon into into like an off limits area. She basically like parks him with with some of the security, and uh, that turns out to be important for later. Yeah, there's a lot of like lines that I wrote down because they were kind of funny at the time, and now I look back knowing the story. Mm. No pop ever again, mm-hmm. um, and and so on. Um, Corin is calling for pop. She thinks the fizzy drink. Um, she tries to tell him about war. She t- gets the security guard to tell him about wars because, quote, old people like hearing about wars. On She's not the most empathetic person. <laughs> um, but then she gets into the off-limits area and starts wearing Zephon as like a hologram yes. to get into the delegation. And again, you know, Suze Kempner, in the kind of galactic political drama bit where Doom is pretending to be Zephon, I genuinely was a bit confused for a while as to whether that was her because she's just really good at voices. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a nice... I like that this story has Doom actually using the, the hollow technology she has a lot mm. more. It's actually... It's it's throughout this big finish box that, you know, we get to see her using various disguises, but also establishing quite early on. But it does not disguise her voice, which is a great opportunity to have Suze Kempner still play the part because it's not as if she's just yes. taking the character's voice, but she gets to to play around with it and to try and do a version of a voice and yeah there's some mm-hmm. excellent results and it really it really justifies the choice of casting Suze Kempner I think when you get to moments like this and you're able to hear her put on a voice like that which is obviously great you know makes her a great audiobook reader but in the context of a drama where she's actually playing her she's still playing Doom but she's playing Doom doing a voice of trying yeah. to pretend to be someone else it's a nice acting moment certainly so doom then uses the discussion to find out about like her target is in this secret downstairs area that doesn't appear on maps she then befriends another delegate called phoenix and again not realizing not getting the incredibly niche references it took me quite a while to establish fully that phoenix is a cat (laughs) yeah she's fully a cat girl um the, the original yeah, cat girl the original cat girl um doctor who has has always been super kooky um so i've i've watched some classic who um and i i remember uh i fairly recently watched another classic story involving uh political drama and an alien delegation the curse of paladin and i i yeah those were some really kooky alien designs, so I can only imagine what passed as this'll yeah. do in the 60s. And, and the Dalek's Master has so many different ones as well compared to Peladon. Like, there's no sense of, okay, let's do a few of these and let's do them well. It's like, let's do as many designs as possible. Let's do the seaweed person in a monk's cloak and let's do the one that looks like a sort of overgrown chumbly or a Dalek with too many bumps. Um, this very um, <laughs> inventive, creative, very much the kind of aliens you'd expect. Um, like if you were doing a school project with lots of cardboard and glue and scissors to kind of produce yeah. little dioramas of. Yeah. So um, we we get, you know, obviously every single delegation is 
plotting something of of their own because that's standard for these sort of stories. Um, and I might not say Doom is accidentally question mark exploiting Zeph and patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I really enjoyed, um, you know, yeah, she kind of befriends Phoenix and then sort of gags and ties her up and um, blackmails her. And there were some great lines from Doom, like properly reveling in her, like, being a villain. And I mean, there are a few lines I've written down. It's a relief to use contraptions again. I'm a very naughty girl. I don't have a tragic backstory that made me this way. I just am. That honestly could have come from Missy. Yeah. Mm, I particularly yeah. liked the I don't have a tragic backstory bit. You know, you're kind of, we've had so many stories now with with Doom and you're wondering if uh, you're going to expand more on like her past. Or, you know, <laughs> we know so little about her other than her literal actions that we yeah. see or read about or whatever. So to have her kind of tease that joke and then pull back and go, no, I don't have a tragic backstory. Great. I mean, there is also like a brief discussion on how assassination might in some cases be preferable to an all-out war. Um, I think this kind of continues on on the whole theme of can assassins be good, actually? I think here, um, maybe. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Because obviously with this being... A prequel to the Daleks master plan um obviously even if you if you maybe not aware of that when listening to it I mean even I as someone who's heard the Dalek master plan seen the seen and heard the Dalek master plan and maybe remembered <laughs> it a bit more I still was struggling to place whether this was supposed to be before or after at certain points during the story because my mm. memory and it, mm. again the extras were able to clarify okay this is definitely a prequel and not a sequel but it does kind of make you think that the implication seems to be if events went differently in this story, perhaps the events of the Dark's Master Plan wouldn't have happened, um, which is an interesting idea mm. in terms of, um, you know, what the particularly what one of the side characters almost does and is prevented from doing, and how that could affect things. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's at this point that um, the quote-unquote grandfather and granddaughter appear again because she is also up to. Um, mysterious nefarious deeds and we actually begin to get uh some of the the backstory which um is really worth talking about because yeah this story does does pack an emotional punch so we learn that clorin is not an old man he's three years old and is actually lynette's son somehow we will get to that later on um and that also her husband just died um Doom says, funny thing, you were talking about tragic backstories. I think now's a good time to talk about, like, you know, throughout one of the kind of core themes of this story is you've got this very young child who is obviously in an elderly body, doesn't really know what's going on, um, mm-hmm. doesn't understand, you know, that that his dad has died even. Um, and I know that a number of different people in the interviews kind of compared it to almost being a dementia storyline, which I thought was a really interesting angle. Yeah, well, it's it's interesting because when the character's first introduced before we learn the truth about him and the fact that he is actually this young child in this older body, it does feel like in some ways like it's doing quite a a stereotypical, almost kind of crash depiction Mm. of dementia, certainly when he's just saying kind of meaningless things to 
to Doom yeah. and just shouting for, for Pop. It seems like it could be like just quite a generic depiction of that that's not really making any any comment on it. And yet when we learn, it is genuinely, you know, it's a, it's a good twist for this character who kind of, as they were used previously in the story, almost felt like a prop for Doom getting into the story and having someone to speak to to then reveal that actually really it's their story. They're more at the centre of it than Doom is and Doom's just kind of this outsider coming in. Um, so in that sense, that really turns you around on that character and how significant those characters are. And yeah, just really kind of, it is genuinely one where it, it recontextualizes earlier parts of the story once you've had the reveal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was it was quite a, it, it was genuinely a, a touching moment in a story. But we also learned something that will be important later. We learned that um, Clorin has the same voice and inflections as uh as his father ash um who also worked for the security service that is uh, that is working on uh on the peace conference mm-hmm. yeah so that security service that is the the sss isn't it so it's the it's yeah. the space kind of service that terry nation introduces and establishes in the dalek master plan and big finish has since picked up on many times, most noticeably, with the sort of Dalek universe stories, I think, which gives the Tech mm. Doctor a companion who's from that service. And yeah, so it's interesting, the idea that they're doing security for the conference, because it's like a big deal conference, and they're the kind of, the sort of intergalactic spies of your 60s Doctor yeah. Who sci-fi. So Lonette is, um, again, also very much up to something. She is apparently, quote unquote, trying to save everyone, by disrupting the ceremony before the signing, setting explosives below the stage. So there, there's already explosives and Lynette has set further explosives. And Doom is very upset about this uh, because the first rule of Murder Club is not to talk about murder in front of everyone. Um, I thought it was a great line. Um, Doom set... That's right. Doom sets explosives. Yes. Um, to blow up her mysterious target for when the delegates will be outside. Lynette's bomb kind of ruins that and everyone is in danger. Um, We then get uh, Phoenix escaping. uh, And it's at this point that they have to run into the lift. and Going into the lift using Clorin's voice. Yes. That that sounds like his his Um, father, because that's how they're going to get anywhere. Yeah, exactly. So they have to kind of train him to say... um, his, I think it's his dad's name. Mm, yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they they go to they go to um, level five where they uh, they meet uh, Carlton, the SSS boss, um, and someone we don't like. Yeah, it's pretty obvious from the start, but he's a he's a wrong yeah. one. Yeah. Um, we do not I, like Carlton. I, it it's uh, I mean he got me at uh, tire marks on the carpet. No, go away, Carlton. <laughs> yes. So at this point, we get, you know, Lonette has her, the opportunity to to tell her her tale. Um, Ash, her, her husband, um, returned um, having discovered something really upsetting. Um, the next day, Clorin, there was a parcel that's basically sent to the house that Clorin picks up Um Ash realizes, throws himself on the parcel, and Ash ages to death. Um, and then Clorin obviously becomes very aged too. It's interesting because at this point I went, 
oh, this is like what happens to Sir Kingdom in the Daleks Master Plan. But I didn't go, I didn't make the reference any further. So that was the only was... hint at the that was the yeah. only hint at Daleks Master Plan for yeah. me. I mean you were right, because literally the exact same thing is for the terranium, which you know, the terranium core is what is used for Dalek time destructor in mm-hmm. that story. So yeah, you you were so close to making that, that connection. And and yeah, the the reason the reason why Ash is uh, is killed like that is because uh, he realizes something related to the peace conference, which is uh, which is that a force is assembling to destroy the the solar system, and at least one delegate here is a traitor. Um, is the evil force perhaps the Daleks off of the Daleks master plan? That's a very good point, and not something I've written down yes. at all. Um, <laughs> and the Daleks and their their best friend Mavic Chen. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um. So at this point. Uh, and I have actually mentioned, I don't know if this is just me thinking, oh God, we have so much Big Finish to do. I did feel like, um, so the Big Finish stories are in our reach. They're in real time, yeah. which I did think it was quite cool. They were trying that. In practice, I think a lot of these stories did not necessarily need to be an hour, especially mm-hmm. after the half an hour BBC audios. But I don't listen to that much Big Finish. So maybe I'm just impatient. <laughs> Um, what, 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 do you, what do you think? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one because this is probably the one that the most feels like it actually could be real time and still make sense. I'm mm, sure we'll yeah. get onto some of the later stories, but there are some logical inconsistencies on how they actually manage it to be both real like real time in the way that it is. But this one, and it's interesting when Jacqueline Rayner talks to the extra, she says that she kind of took that to be dooms in every scene and it lasts for an hour, therefore an hour is past whereas obviously other stories do show us perspectives other than dooms so i think it works here and it works well for doing that but yeah i could definitely see how a half an hour format would certainly allow you a bit more liberties with that and although it's a rare thing for big finish to do there are big finish box sets that have used um half hour episodes i think torchwood soho does half hour episodes in their box sets and there's a couple or maybe just one Gallifrey series that did it as well and again worked very well doing it I think I think some of the so my big finish again is very patchy I listened to a little bit when I was running during lockdown Mm. and because I didn't know where to start I started from the beginning and quite a lot of the early monthly range oh, stuff yeah, was either true. in half an hour or in bits of half an hour. Yeah, the, the monthly range kind of apes the classic serial format. So you've got four half hours. Mm. Yeah. Um, and yeah, as yeah. much as it's rare for Big Finish to do episodic things that are in half hours, they have done it and it has worked well when they've done it. Mm-hmm. So you could see that being an approach here. Although ultimately, I guess what it came down to is a case of we've got enough money to do four episodes. We need to fill four hours rather than yeah. if you're doing eight episodes to fill four hours, you've suddenly mm-hmm. got to have a lot of extra writers and actors potentially. Yeah. And and also like there literally are only so many hours in the day. Yes. Yeah. Uh, um, they, you know, we, um, well, maybe we didn't need the phone game. Yeah. Maybe we could have had six episodes of Big Finish. <laughs> I, but, it, could honestly, been, it could have been an outer space that. day. It could be Doomsday, the reveal at the end of Doomsday. <laughs> Uh, you know how long is a day on Doom's planet, and it's like twenty-four years. Yeah. Um. Um. So okay, so at, at this point, right, 
Um, Doom set the explosives that will surely take out uh, her actual target. She calls in the success with Terry. Terry gives her a new mission. The target, Lonette. Wait, wait, she takes, because again, Doom is not a good person. <laughs> no. Um, there's a big emotional moment here. Doom's hollow suit is telepathic and can basically, like, you know, ostensibly she's still helping Lonette. And Doom can basically use Lynette's memories of Ash, her husband, to disguise herself as him, um, which, you know, is, is used to great effect later on. But even here is a big emotional moment because yeah. that must be weird. That, that is... Uh, yeah, that must yeah. be so weird. Yeah, again, it's really just clever to actually, you know somebody writing a big finish has gone okay here's our brief on doom here's the things doom's got with her oh there's, she's got this hollow disguise thing how can we use that in an interesting way in the story and also get an emotional and character moment out of it as opposed to just going oh she has a hollow suit okay and never mentioning it like 90 yeah. percent of the other doomsday stories seem to have done so it's one thing to take it and go okay we can use this for a great story moment the fact that they managed to get like a character and emotional yeah. moment of it as well as just pushing the plot forwards, I think is is great. And that's, yeah, strong use of it here. Again, very, very good emotional moment. In the story, this is used to great effect because now Doom is finally able to pass through the secure door with the hollow suit and also with Chlorin. Mm. Again, because she needs the voice print. U using, using a combination of those two, she's able to pass through the secure door to the area that she set the, uh, her explosives in from the target of her original mission here. The target is CompuVac. Uh, so she she gets into a server room, which, okay, fair enough. Um, artificial intelligence is alive in, in Doctor Who um, and also uh, very much a target of, uh, of attacks now in the real world and it makes so much more sense now knowing the reference <laughs> yeah because this is what we thought ai was in <laughs> 1965 um so this is not a, a new ai story no. this is yeah, yeah this is this is what we thought ai was back when a computer required a room and i guess because it is in a room i had that image yeah. anyway but yeah but yes the fact that this is the SSS ba battle computer from an, an annual story. Really, Jacqueline Rayner is doing the most to represent Terry Nation's vision of Doctor Who <laughs> in the year 2023 um, with the obscure deep cuts. Absolutely. Um, so again, there's a really interesting bit here where they've got all of all of knowledge. Lynette is trying to ask to like heal her. Um, dying son yeah. who is aged to death and Doom is like no you have to tell me about the doctor remember the doctor my entire plot is that I have to find the doctor yes. and just being well I guess she is dying as well <laughs> but like it's done in a way that feels very sort of selfish and yeah it was another interesting moment of like yeah. oh yeah Doom's not a good person no no she is not um, but here's the thing we finally get an in-story confirmation that Carlton is part of the evil plan um, from from before, and uh, that sets Compuvac into an existential crisis because um, uh, it figures out that 
you know, it, it has some irreconcilable information presented to it, and uh, it ends up shutting down, which, uh, okay, yeah, fair enough. That's one where you can kill an AI. Yeah, again, this is classic 60s um, science fiction, how do you defeat a computer or a robot or anything? Yeah. Just, just give it a, a, a logical inconsistency and let it blow itself up. And it is at this point in proceedings that everything's about to blow up. Clorin recognises Pop. Pop obviously being Doom yes. um, in the hollow suit. He starts doing the voice prints. You, you know, a bit of a running joke is that because he doesn't really understand what's going on, Lynette has to keep prompting him to say Ash Renton to the lift. And he doesn't know why he's doing that or really who yeah. Ash Renton is. Um, and... You know, there's a lot of prompting and he gets better and better at it. And at this point, he starts doing it completely unprompted because he's being good for pop. And yeah, it's 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 a big it's a big moment. It is, it is a really big moment. Um, um, but um, Carlton did not stop the explosions. No, uh, <laughs> he did not stop the explosions. And uh, that that just leaves the fact that Doom still has an open job on Lonette, um, which uh, here she's able to convince Lonette to fake her own death, basically, um, which is good enough to mark off uh, the job as uh, as successful. Um, and Doom uh, gets to act out uh, Ash Renton's final goodbye to Clorin. Mm -hmm. It's sort of mentioned at an earlier point that... Um... When Ash went away uh, to battle, um, he would do a special goodbye with Clorin, and because of how he was killed, he never got to do that. Yeah. So Doom kind of gets to to do that for him. Bit which of a uh, bit nice. of nice it's, closure. It's also a nice use of the tech. Yeah. Um. They basically Lynette is sort of away and uses Doom's monocle to feed into her what she has to say. Which again, you know, Brynn, you talked about the hollow suit actually getting some use in the big finish. I think this is another really nice use of the tech that we we haven't we haven't really seen. Um, so yeah, as as we know, Doom is now assigned a known associate of the Doctor called Jackie Tyler. Yes, um, ja <laughs> Jackie Tyler in a big finish. I I can't believe it. Um, but before we get on to that. I have not got many more notes on the interviews because I was walking home at that point other than like what I've said already. I have written here, Carlton is a character from DMP, holy shit. Um, <laughs> I was, my mind was quite blown. Um, also, yeah. Jacqueline Rayner talks a little bit about the challenges of balancing like Doom's humanity and being like a likable protagonist with being the baddest assassin ever yes um I, I think i think i would like to pull out a quote from uh from lonette from earlier um i i thought you were a nice lady <laughs> which doom very much isn't yes she's good at giving off the impression um, of being a nice yeah. lady um yes mm -hmm. which which is what you need to be able to do as as an assassin and especially in a sort of in the way that Doom does it. You talked a little bit earlier, Philip, about, like, Doom's incredible use of intergalactic patriarchy. Mm -hmm. And actually something that we've seen throughout, I think we talked about this before, is almost because of who Doom is, and, like, in many cases, because she's a woman, yeah, she's sort of not seen as a threat, 
which if you're an assassin is great. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that her character uses that to great effect. So I think some of those contradictions are deliberate. But yeah. 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 I mean, it's it's what makes Suze Kempner's casting as the character so good. And that's clearly a very conscious mm-hmm. choice to kind of cast against type, you know, cast someone who's quite charismatic and quite disarming and quite unassuming. It is a shame, though, that they didn't tell Penguin. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> they just, some, they just forgot to tell too. Penguin Brooks, um, yeah. uh, which was a, a beautiful moment. Yes. Um, so, yeah, any final thoughts on uh, Dawn of an Everlasting Peace? I really like this story. Me, me as well. I think it's probably my, my favourite yeah. of the four, maybe. It's certainly the one that stuck with me the most. Yeah, I think it's a good, a good strong story. I don't know if it's my favorite maybe second favorite um we'll, we'll get we'll get on to favorites later i'm sure when that we get to that story yeah. but it's definitely yeah. um it's also good to hear that you two had a good time with it despite not necessarily following all the references mm. as much as i did i was just thinking having said the title again i was kind of thinking dawn of an everlasting peace where have i heard that before <laughs> but i was thinking it was one of those things that's like it's quite sci-fi sounding yes. in general, and it's there's so many things where all the major franchises like sort of reference each other but aren't really allowed to. Mm-hmm. Like, I wouldn't have been surprised if it was from an early Star Trek episode or something. Yeah. Like, and I was like, oh, I probably heard that when I actually watched that serial. So yeah, I'm very silly. Yeah. Shall we move on to a date with destiny? Yes. Um, let's so do let's, that. let's go. Let's go. A date so. with destiny is by Robert Valentine, and shall, shall we look at the album art? There's not as much going on in this. I I do like that you've got the time in the background. Yes. Um. We we do have we do have uh, Jackie Tyler who is as always in in her tracksuit. <laughs> um. We we do get. Uh, we oh, we do get destiny. destiny. Yeah. yeah, we do get destiny well, in, see, in her is, own fancy assassin what, outfit. This is what you miss out out as when all of your album art is set to Dawn of an Everlasting Peace. <laughs> yes, because obviously at the time when I was going through the art initially, I didn't know who that person was. Um, that's cool. Yeah, it's definitely nice to see a visualization of that. Uh, I mm-hmm. I had um, Yasmin Bannerman's face in my head because I recognised the actor and I recognised the voice. So I was seeing. Yasmin yeah. of Destiny, but it's nice to know that's actually the intention because obviously the nature of audio drama is sometimes you can cast an actor and there's no intention that their character mm-hmm. actually looks like them, but the cover art kind of confirms that me picturing Yasmin Bannerman in the yeah. story was was helpful. And I also notice here that the uh, the number plate on the black cab on the cover says Bad Wolf. <laughs> that's good. Oh, oh, well, well spotted. Yeah. yeah. God, everything is just... I, I feel like I'm going to be thinking about this in, like, five years and going, oh, that reference. <laughs> there, I mean, okay, let's let's face it. This is an incredibly fan-wanky project. Um, we, you might have gotten that from a last story, which was a deep dive into Dalek's master plan. A missing episode, or most of it is missing serial so it's not even on like itvx and stuff yeah. it's if you want to watch that you gotta yeah. you gotta go into the internet you gotta and look suffer for the best. you gotta um, suffer it's definitely yeah. the thing where, where doomsday is a very 
fan-centric project and then you've meet match that with big finish which is a company that also their doctor Who output is extremely fan-oriented fan fan-centric <laughs> to have those two elements together you've kind of reached the peak of deep cut references mm. and yeah i mean I'm thinking back to Suze Kempler's original interview with Doctor Who magazine uh, at the start of this project, where I, I is it her or is it James Goss? Um, one of the early people interviewed mm. um, compares it basically to the Sarah Jane Adventures in terms of being a jumping on point for new fans. <laughs> to be fair, as as you said earlier, Bryn, you don't have to know that it's Starlight Master Plan to yes. enjoy this. We certainly yeah. did, but like. It's, it's I a think choice. there are other elements of Doomsday that would work better as a jumping on point. I don't think Big mm. Finish necessarily know how to do Doctor Who that's a jumping on point. It, yeah. And to be fair... You have to be into yeah. Doctor Who It first. doesn't make sense yeah. for their business model because why would you jump on with a £30 box set to Doctor Who when you could jump yeah. on to Doctor Who with some free television? Do you know what I thought would be a good jumping on point? Weirdly enough... The novel, even with its inconsistencies, sure, there are some very deep-cut references there, but, you know, the, the actual main thrust of it hinges entirely upon New Who. Mm. Mm-hmm. The fact that it's the Krowls doing some of the stuff in there is, <laughs> oh, is a bonus for that, the old heads. I, I can't, I'm not sure if you've listened, but, <laughs> I've but that, the, episode we did with, yeah. <laughs> the episode we did with Will Shaw on the novel was literally... Will explaining references to us because I thought I was like, oh, season six B, I get this, and Will's like, no, no, it goes even deeper. Yeah, <laughs> it goes well, even deeper. Um, there's a reference actually at the end of I think this episode, which I'm sure we'll get to, which I'm curious about if either of you have picked up, and if not, I'm gonna have fun like Will did explaining to you what that reference is about. Okay, I I'm looking at my notes and it's not immediately obvious what that is so i'm gonna okay, look forward to okay. it right. so shall we shall we get into a date with destiny yes. we probably or should i call it um doom and her ex-girlfriend fight over jackie tyler that, that, that's <laughs> yes. that's what happens yeah pretty much so doom is you know on earth jackie tyler is wanted by the international criminal by an international criminal gang due to her link to what merely Rose international that's what I have written. That that might be what Terry says. And it might, you know, I do like with Big Finish and kind of you get this with the BBC audio as well, but it's really honed here. There's now a format. So you get the same kind of sound effects of Doom arriving. She then speaks to Terry. Like, I really like that there's a, there's a format here. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, Jackie is on a call with Dennis, who clearly wants to date her and is clearly being a bit desperate and and clearly on a massive rebound as well <laughs> mm-hmm. jackie kind of turns down his advances but like agrees to go for dinner um but then dennis is visited by a woman claiming to be his destiny mm-hmm. so cut to a restaurant um which uh, which is where uh jackie and dennis uh go have their their dinner uh, Doom's there as well. She gets into the kitchen pretending to be a surprise health inspector scanning for bacteria. Um, I think that's really good. That's really funny. Uh, that's that's the sort of thing, you know, it's, it's your classic Bavarian fire drill behavior. 
Um, I I like that uh, Suze Kempner was uh, was able to pull this sort of stuff off because I, I love it when uh, when you have a character like that fully command a room of people and they don't even realize that she's lying through her teeth. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so we're cutting to Jackie and uh, Dennis and. My first note, and we'll obviously get into this as the plot progresses, but my first note was, why does Dennis speak so clearly? Like, just something is off from Mm. the get-go with Dennis at this dinner. Um, There's a bit of drama with him and Jackie, and, you know, will they, won't they? You know, he's being a bit clingy and creepy she's maybe led him on a bit there's all this drama and then he sounds like he's he's spent like the previous four hours on on the red pill reddit (laughs) yes Yes. this is it he's gone from being like a ineffectual kind of like seemingly quite friendly person that phone call to now he's like he's been watching videos about how to be an alpha male on youtube like Mm. yeah dennis dennis claims that men and women can't be friends and i'm like "Mm, no i'm not sure about that and then he claims that nobody can be friends and i'm like well now you're just objectively wrong and then he says nobody can be family yeah nobody can be family i'm like i don't i i I, that's not like how any of being a human works um he goes from like yeah being slightly unhinged in the sense of when someone has a take you don't like to being like fully not anywhere in line with anything that anyone thinks again a a time lapse of someone watching too many andrew tate tiktoks (laughs) yeah like i was ready to get into some like sort of feminist discourse around the men and women can't be friends it, implying something of like because they must be have it they must either have sex or not like each other but then he it just takes it to such an extreme but you're like actually no this point doesn't matter i don't need to have an actual we don't need to have an actual conversation about this as if it's a serious you point that character's making because it just escalates so quickly no because it turns out that uh, dennis is actually a disguise worn by destiny and uh, so, Jackie Tyler has been poisoned. So Fortunately, Doom, Doom shows up with the antidotes. Yes. Doom poses as a waitress. Um, as it appears that Dennis is an assassin, he's wondering why the poison hasn't kicked in uh, before it does. She, Doom sarcastically calls Dennis babes. And it's at this point that I think I write, I think they're actually exes. And then it turns mm. out that that's not Dennis that's destiny and yeah we gotta get into the relationship between doom and destiny or des they're calling each other kind of babes and hun they hate each other um but they sort of love each other and it's 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 an interesting one see my my initial impression of that relationship is that they're basically doing mean girls shit Mm. Mm -hmm. yeah I mean, yeah, it's like my, my takeaway was, oh, okay, so they're lovers, ex-lovers, obviously. But then also <laughs> I do like, you know, from the way in which Jackie is criticising them, there's the suggestion as well, Jackie points out, that you're like, oh, you're just like two people I knew in school, you know, but they're just like these catty, the way they're kind of constantly bathed <sighs> and complimenting each, o- complimenting each other in this passive-aggressive way. The sort of yeah. extreme niceness mm. really does fit with that as you say, the mean girl thing. Yeah. One thing that I wrote down at a later point, but, you know, is is there throughout, is 
Doom keeps talking about how she's not like the other girl. She's not like <laughs> Destiny. No, the other girl is so annoying. Not like yeah. me. I'm not like, like other... Like, I just got a big not like other girls. She's yes. a naughty murderer. I'm a nice murderer. Like, it's very... They're both assassins, but... Yeah. But I, I also just got this very big, like, not like other girls <laughs> yes. vibe. Um, from both of them where it's kind of done more as I'm not like this girl in particular but yeah it really fits with this sort of mean girls thing so yeah they're competing assassins Doom in a moment of desperation tells Jackie that she's the doctor Um, an interesting bit of like poisoning by gender politics Mm. in that on finding out that this woman is apparently the doctor Jackie says, how come you're a woman? Before she says, where's my daughter? <laughs> Which is a really interesting set of priorities. Yeah, um. yeah that's, that's true. That's true. But we should, we should also, like, I would like to point out, right, that Doom has done quite a lot of sort of Hitman-style environmental kills in, in like, throughout <laughs> Doomsday, mm-hmm. let's face it. Um, I think it is something to do with the fact that like you probably don't necessarily want to target this at a younger demographic maybe like you know teenagers young adults and and have doom just be shooting people all the time even though that's literally her job um but i think a lot of this is a sort of you know environmental kills getting an ai to to blow up due to a logical paradox Uh, here, you know, when she's doing the Bavarian fire drill routine in in the kitchen, she requests a whole bunch of items that then she uses to get away from the restaurant and and have Destiny set herself on fire when she tries to shoot Doom and Jackie. Mm. Um, I I do like that sort of use of props in the environment to uh, to sort of vary it up a little bit. Obviously, the you know the most straightforward thing she could have done is just shot yeah. Destiny there and then. But I like that they're they're taking it in a slightly different direction. It makes for a much funnier story. Yeah, yeah. For for an assassin, a lot of Doom's violence is quite sanitized, which kind of fits with this thing that they're constantly trying to balance between her being a protagonist but her being someone who's in quite a a, a a bad violent job um uh, yeah so it's always except for in the titan comics where her violence is not very sanitized and she just shoots mm. and poisons and um cuts yeah. open a lot of slices a lot of people but generally speaking other than the very bloody titan comics where i guess she gets away with it because she's in comparison to missy rather than in comparison to doctor who characters yeah. that are mm. friendly so you have Doom and Jackie kind of running away. Again, um, Jackie Tyler is a brilliant character. Uh, some some lines I pulled out were, why is she trying to kill me and why do you smell of beans? Um, has your monocle got a blooming sat-nav or something? Um, An assassin? Then- you mean she kills people for money? <laughs> That's is generally the agreed meaning, yes. <laughs> um, there's also a moment where... You know, a 
after she says, "How come you're a woman?" and then she says, "Where's my daughter?" <laughs> yeah. And Doom's explanation is that Rose is introducing Jane Austen to '90s teeny pop, which I love, and I also really hope that Rose is introducing Jane Austen to '90s teeny pop by performing it. Yes. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. I hope she's performing the hit songs of Billy Piper. Um, Absolutely. Because that was yes. my first thought. If Rose is the one introducing to teen pop, I think mm-hmm. there's a certain teen pop artist from that era we would like to hear. Mm-hmm. Uh, she probably sounds a lot like yeah, and yeah, looks a lot like. Yeah. Funny that. Um, so yeah, so uh, Destiny kind of catches up with them, and Destiny is basically running a rival business to the Lesser Order of Oberon, and she's trying to recruit. She's trying to poach Doom. Uh, our boy Brian the Ude is apparently on board. Yes. Um, I liked that reference. The, the Order of Titania, an Eliminator-owned assassination cooperative. Yes, I, I love the <laughs> fact that it's um, Titania in, in reference to A Midsummer Night's Dream, Oberon and Titania. Yeah. I love that. When we yeah. said that, I was like, ah, that is actually quite a clever little detail. I, um, I also I also love that this is all sort of conveyed in midst of of a scooter slash stolen <laughs> black cab chase through the streets of London. <laughs> Jackie does catch Doom out, uh, that she's not the doctor. Doom says, I love this line, it's been a hell of a day to be fair. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, Jackie gets out the frying pan, Doom comes clean. And yeah, again, they're going big on the assassins are actually bad thing. Um, yes. Jackie kind of refuses to help Doom, understandably. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and I like that Jackie's reaction to Doom isn't from like a big Doctor Who, I'm a hero kind of morality of assassins mm. and guns or evil and stuff. It's just from a kind of just like a normal everyday human morality of like most, you know, Absolutely. she's not yeah. having, like the Doctor would have a moral reaction to an assassin, but yeah. as someone who's met loads of assassins and experienced dealing with them in his life all the time. Whereas Jackie is having this reaction of someone who is a normal person with a normal life and has probably never met an assassin before. And he's just like, you kill <laughs> yeah. people for money. Why are you acting like that's normal? Um, she's a very human, very grounded character, which is what makes stories placing her against quite fantastical sci-fi characters so fun. I, I love Jackie Tyler. She's a great character. I also like to uh, point out here, um, Doom, Doctor, Doctor Doom. <laughs> Doctor Doom is a comic character from another franchise entirely. And in the last story, Doom was comparing herself to the creature from a Black Lagoon. Interesting that they can do that. And of course, if, if any lawyers are listening, the Bastille reference was not my idea. <laughs> um, so... Um, you mean there's a Bastille reference? <laughs> no, but it, and if there was, it would not be my idea. Um, ba- ba- Bastille are, are not ones to to be uh, no. um, to, to be litigious or um, uh, high ground on that. <laughs> um, anyway, so Jackie then talks about Dennis. Uh, obviously, Dennis, the real Dennis, is dead. Yeah, and she sort of blames herself, saying she let him live in hope, which. Again, there's discourse to be had here, but it's moved on from so quickly. Um, you know, Destiny speaks to her kind of Terry equivalent, which is Poe, and I've just got po, written Poe, 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 Poe. Anyway, and I've all I've got written here is in capital letters Southwark. 
Now, as fans of Jay Foreman's Every Tube Station song will know, um, that, that's not how you say it. But I liked the detail that, obviously, if you're like assassins who work across the galaxy, you're not going to know the local pronunciations <laughs> no. of everything. No, of course not. They kind of catch Destiny in a trap by throwing bubble bath at them. Um, and Destiny then holds Peggy hostage, which means that Jackie is forced to further the plot. <laughs> yes. Um... Again, like another chase sequence through uh through the buildings or the estate. They're constantly doing like mean girls banter throughout the entire thing. It's it is quite comedic. It is also like if you kind of step back at, from from the whole thing, you have these two incredibly dangerous assassins just acting like pissiest people in existence at each other mm-hmm. um and we then yeah we got this chase scene through the powerless day i think i got a little bit confused as to exactly what's going on here because such is life when you have hollow suits and amazing voice <laughs> actors um but they all kind of end up on this sort of outside um area yeah. and just to cover i uh listened to this on a very delayed train service. Mm. We were going quite slowly and it I can't remember the exact reason, but clearly all was not going to plan. And it took me a good few minutes of this really quite long scene for me to think, is that annoying squeak actually part of the train? Or is that in the background of this audio? And yeah, no, it's in the background of this audio for a solid like 10 minutes at least. There is just some metal squeaking in the background, which I guess is meant to be a deliberate, like it's like a park or something. It's like a deliberate part of the atmosphere. But God, it was annoying. Um, Okay, ran ran over. See, I I didn't notice that. And I was listening to all yeah. this on my commutes to and from work, and my my commutes yeah. are walking commutes, so probably mostly what I was hearing from the background of all these stories, irregardless of setting, was uh, traffic noises. True. So the traffic noises yeah. probably yeah. fitted well with this one, but less so in the yes. others. Yeah. yeah, I again I, I pointed this out in in the BBC audio. The sound effects that they picked for this are uh, really good. Again, I really like the they actually talked to each other and, and shared yeah. some of the same assets because it really helps it give the same cohesive identity. Absolutely. This one, though, it was all I could think about um, because, you see, <laughs> autism is a neurodevelopmental condition characterised by... Uh, I, like, as soon as I realised it wasn't the train, like, every five minutes, I'm just like, that squeak is still there. Um, so I yeah. like the attention to detail, but maybe this one didn't quite land. <laughs> Yes, we end up uh, with uh, with Doom disguised as Jackie, and this uh, is what confused me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we end up as Doom disguised as Jackie to bait Destiny into dropping her guard and walking into an ambush. Um, there are some brilliant lines. Here. There are some brilliant lines here. We put the sis in Nemesis. <laughs> I love that. And also, the one I've got is stop acting like you're my mentor. It was a one week induction, dude. Yes. Which, looking <laughs> back at like think like talking to you about like how you've interpreted the relationship and so on, like it it 
I, I'm reinterpreting that as it was one night. Yes. But- <laughs> like, stop acting like it's such a big deal, which I don't think I picked up on at the time, but yeah. that's like kind of the yeah, tone. Yeah, I love how it speaks to kind of, you know, how we were introduced to the lesser Order of Oberon in hour one as this quite corporate way of assassinating. And so the idea that, yeah, you, you know, when you, when you enroll as an assassin, you get your, your one week shadow scheme, mm. you know. And, yeah. <laughs> but also, yeah, I love the idea of Doom having done that just holding it over her for the rest of time and referring to herself as her you, yeah mentor. You, you get your uh you know you you join the lesser order of oberon you get your uh health and safety you get your company values um you you get told uh you know karaoke's on thursday nights <laughs> that sort of thing so jackie breaks up the ensuing cat fight between destiny and doom and then uh, a spaceship just randomly lands right next to them, carrying the head of the Zirconian Claw Syndicate, uh, who put out the hit on uh, on Jackie Tyler. Turns out that the Lesser Order of Oberon was struggling to keep the Zirconian Claw on their books. The Syndicate was planning on switching suppliers uh, to Titania, and they've actually put out the same hit on uh, a with both organizations and whichever one completed the job first would receive their business for the next accounting period whatever it's one of those stories <laughs> doom just shoots the guy yes. mm-hmm. uh doom ends up killing the client and therefore he is no longer a client because his double contracting somehow meant that the original contract was void yeah. Yes. Um, this is another example. I think there's one of these in the BBC audios as well, where she basically uses legalese to mean, oh, I don't have to do the assassination. Yes. Which is one way this, of sanitizing the this violence. This one to me, though, was totally believable in that, yes, you would have mm-hmm. an exclusivity clause. You know, if you're a big crime mm-hmm. syndicate, you, you, can, you, you shouldn't be hiring assassins from multiple organizations. You know, if, if you're hiring from one organization, yes, the contract would have an exclusivity clause. And if you break any part of a contract with a league of assassins, I'm pretty sure you can expect that their response will not be, you know, a termination of future contracts and maybe a strongly worded letter. I no, think... it would be an t- a termination <laughs> of yes, you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um. and, and, speaking, uh, and speaking of terminations, um, I hope you enjoyed Destiny as a character. Um <laughs> I was kind of thinking throughout, like, oh, this is amazing. Why didn't they introduce Destiny earlier? And it turns out that the reason for that is that obviously he was not going to survive more than one hour. Yeah. Um, she gets uh, an electric shock from her Vortex manipulator and Doom refuses to help because of course she does. Uh, um, and and this, is, this is why Destiny still had staff login to the Lesser Order of Oberon because this was actually an internal hit to sort of try and clean mm-hmm. up a defector Mm. absolutely um so yeah we then wrap up jackie says her goodbyes quote you're a monster but thank you for saving my life that's it that's the series um jackie um doom obviously wants to know about the doctor and jackie is just like lol no um so and then i love this line doom says take care of yourself jackie tyler it's been about an hour. <laughs> mm-hmm. I just, I love it. I just peak doomsday. Yes. Yes. Um, and then we have this sequence at the end where Jackie 
Jackie calls Rose. We do not hear Rose's voice. Um, but um, she calls Rose and then the doctor and basically says, Doom is looking for you, just a warning. Um, so, Bryn, earlier on you mentioned a reference. Um, right. I'm all so in. So this is the story, right, where Doom is given at the end three different options for her next mission by from from terry yes Mm -hmm. i do not have those written down so the second option she is given is a brilliant big finish joke in that it sets up a potential story with a character that they do not have the rights to um and then obviously doom chooses one of the (laughs) other options with characters that they do have the rights to in the silence but yes yeah so what was what was that character maniac with a chainsaw that the Daleks want killing or taking care of or whatever and it is a reference to Absom Dark the uh, Dalek killer from the DWM comics um, specifically 7th Doctor okay. so it's, it's a deep cut so they wouldn't oh, have wow. the rights to that no, um, yeah. jumping on point yes. <laughs> jumping on point um, <laughs> yeah, like, Absom Dark is an iconic character from a certain era of comics i think it's seventh doctor dwm comics he was introduced in and there is even in um time heist at one point the doctor who tv story time heist when there's images Mm. of different criminals shown on the screen at one point one of them is a drawing a a comic drawing of oh wow so he is oh now i have to rewatch time heist (laughs) (laughs) you don't have to rewatch time heist you could you can look at tardis wiki it's okay Uh, (laughs) um yeah he's um He's a great character, and that just that made me cackle. But yeah, it's definitely the yeah. most deep cut reference, and it's a it's a clever way of using the fact that Terry's giving her options of where to go to to just tease the idea of what if we did this story that we definitely cannot do without yeah. having to negotiate yeah. something first. I do hope that you know maybe because insofar as this being a project of trying to use all the licensees to to great effect maybe this was also a project in a sort of you know more uh, sort of a broader level of trying to get all the corporate partners to talk to each other um we certainly get a sense of that in in the interviews which i would like to talk about in a little bit Mm -hmm. but um yeah final thoughts on the story itself i thought Yasmin Bannon was really great in it. Like, Destiny is a good, strong character. She's a very memorable mm-hmm. character who's just limited to this episode and really defines this episode. Yeah. And Yasmin Bannerman is a great voice performer. I mean, she's also been in Doctor Who and Torchwood on, on television playing different parts, and she's yeah. done a fair share of audio drama work. And so it's just, it's just nice to have her in this as a, a real strong performer who brings something to this character. And I think one bit we kind of skipped over is when they're kind of half reminiscing and half criticizing each other over a hit gone wrong one time mm-hmm. where they gas an entire room full of people and it's another kind of great moment for how much doom is completely alienating jackie tyler who she wants to be on her side as yeah. well as a reminder to also <laughs> just how brutal and terrifying doom can be and yeah it's just a real strong yeah. they balance perfectly having this bond and having this antagonism at the same time. And it is kind of a shame that she dies at the end of the story because I would have happily seen more mm. destiny. Absolutely. Agree. Mm. So moving on to the interviews then. Um, Suze Kempner 
uh, describes getting a call from her agent asking her to play Doom, which I'm not really sure how this works, but the tone of it does sound like she was specifically asked. We talked a bit about this around the novel, uh, because as we've already mentioned... Clearly, at the time, Penguin got the contract to write the novel or to to, to run the novel, yeah. uh, which is N.G. Harris. Uh, Doom was listed as male, and my kind of interpretation of that was that Doom was kind of conceptualized with male default, and then either they went for gender blind casting or they specifically decided to cast Hughes Kempner, and it sounds like it was the latter. Yeah. Um, so she she gets uh, she gets uh, the call. Uh, she was uh, she's approached um, sort of end of last year. At which point, I do think that Penguin was definitely the the corporate partner that dropped the ball here because mm-hmm. we also get in in uh, in one of the interviews saying that the BBC were actually involved in in the production for checking continuity and and things of that mm-hmm. nature, which. Um, the novel was definitely the most lacking in that department. Obviously, you know, the standard thing of corporate partners not talking to each other. The phone game was very much a whole thing of you just get the JPEG of the character Mm -hmm. and that's your lot. The phone game, particularly (laughs) because, like, the second part of the phone game was wedged in between the novel and the BBC audience. You're starting to get really substantive stories. And... Clearly, their brief was just interfere as little as possible. Pretty just much, just yeah. do as little as possible while still making people yes, play the, the, the phone game. The second hour of the phone game is somehow even less eventful than the first hour, which is like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's there is. I mean, that I I spent the whole time, ironically, having gone through Dawn of Everlasting Peace <laughs> blissfully unaware. I spent the whole time of the second phone game story thinking, who is this guy? I'm clearly meant to recognise him from some obscure story. And then looking in, looking into it and just being like, nope, nope, they just made up a guy. Original, original East Side Games <laughs> Martin character. T- Martin Turr. Martin Turr. Oh, I, I, am, I am looking forward to that big finish, oh, though. River Song <laughs> and Jackie Tyler meet Martin Turr before he's killed. Oh, God. Right, who would your casting choices be for Martin Turr? Martin I was going to say Martin Clunes. Okay. Um. <laughs> okay, I love that we've all collectively forgotten so much about this non-existing character that you've both defaulted is, to famous Martins. Because literally... I was just like, I was just I was just thinking, I hope they don't turn this question on me because I have no idea. I was just watching yesterday the Doctor Who season 20 box set interview with Martin Clunes. I think that is literally just as far as my brain can stretch back. Valid. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, Suze Kempner also mentions that she was, she'd been playing Doom for four months at this point. Um, we obviously don't know exactly when yeah. this was recorded, though more on that later. Um, she mentioned filming the trailers in February. So she obviously just spent a couple of hours in February doing those blue screen, green yeah. screen, like... yeah. Oh, only X hours to go. I have to find the doctor. This looks like it was filmed in my bedroom because it probably was. Um, and she'd read the first bit of script yes. at that point. The, the sort of lead times on this were actually quite reasonable, I would say, for mm. this sort of production. Um, again, a bit angry at Penguin for not fixing the collateral before the 
but when to print I'm, I, I'm not I think it's a beautiful moment that says a lot about how this was produced yeah um, I, I genuinely was like picking up the novel being like is this gonna refer to Dina's mail the whole time um, it doesn't but and even even the Penguin website on release day had fixed it but not before they sent the blurb yes. to all the bookshops yep. like amazing so um Bryn, um we will see you next episode. Um, but in the meantime, where can people find you online? Yeah, so um, the best place to look is still on Twitter or whatever we're calling it. I'm calling it Twitter. Um, <laughs> at B Mitchell underscore Twitter, spelled T-W-I-T-R. And given Twitter's um, attempted name change, it is even more interesting that it was Twitter that forced me to add that um suffix at the end of my twitter name because my pre my choice name was taken and now they've changed it which is ironic um but i am also on blue sky as bryn mitchell and from my twitter you can find a link to my blog which has links to basically everything else that i do on the internet including um the trap one podcasts where i've also talked about doctor who doomsday um brilliant uh so i am mind the flap at most social places um these days you're probably more likely to see me active on blue sky because that's where all the cool autism research folks have just showed up um so mind the flap at bsky.social or, or however that is is formatted um i do also have a blog mindtheflap.wordpress.com and i update it never yes um and you can find me on Twitter at Minkowski. Um, you can find me on Blue Sky at FTW. Um, you can find me on uh, the Fediverse as at FTW at tilde.zone. Um, and I also do music with Georgia as Philip Wheeland on Spotify. I'm 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 on some of them and I'm very sorry, but but you should check his music out. <laughs> um, cover art uh, of this podcast is by uh, Sam Chowner Hearn. Uh, you can find more of her work at samchown-ahern.com. I hope that's right. It'll be in the show notes. And music is by the brilliant Philip Wheeland, uh, who you can find on Spotify. All right. So, uh, uh, see you. See you in the next part of this uh, this uh, uh, two part episode <laughs> yeah. about the big and finish. You, and you thought the big finish dragged? <laughs> well, <laughs> um, no. Uh, I, so yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we'll speak soon, and uh, we will see you, viewers. We won't see you, and you're not viewers. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, whoever you are uh, next time for yes. the next piece of for the same piece of media yes. um philip can you do that but good we've broken oh. the format okay. by splitting it into okay. <laughs> we will uh we will metaphorically see you next time for the same piece of media goodbye see you in the next one bye all right, and cut. And cut. <laughs> Philip, I'm so sorry you have to edit. <laughs>